All right, we take another step today in our series looking at those words that Jesus uh, spoke from the cross. And if you remember last week, uh, we looked at um, one of those words from the cross. It happened to be the fourth word uh, spoken, but it was the first word spoken from 3 to 6 o'clock. And remember what happened from 3 to 6 o'clock? From 3 to 6 o'clock, it said darkness covered the land. Remember all that stuff? So we say, yes, I got it all. I thought about it all week, Pastor. It's all I could think about. Your sermon is awesome. I couldn't get it out of my head. Okay, good. Um, but it's important for you to remember that because the contrast is significant for today. That word took place when darkness covered the land. The word we're going to look at today is the first word that he speaks from the cross. And this, because it's the first word, this is the word that takes place not in the darkness, but it takes place in the daylight, right? In the daylight. It takes place in light of everything that Jesus has gone through up until this point. And so to understand the power of what's going on in this word, you need to remember, put yourself into that experience and try to grab the overwhelming nature of what's going on. Remember, Jesus has been arrested. Uh, he's been unfairly tried, convicted. He's been beaten to within, you know, an inch of his life. His back has been laid bare. His flesh has been ripped apart. He has already had a crown of thorns pressed on his head into his skull. He has had to carry the cross as far as he could before he collapsed in exhaustion. He has been now laid upon that cross and nailed to it in his hands and feet and raised up. His face is no doubt swollen, bruised, and unrecognizable. Can you see it? Can you see in the daylight the ugliness, the horror, of that moment. Can you picture in your head and see in the daylight Jesus beaten, wounded, bruised, stripped, and bloodied? And in the daylight, it's not just what he's gone through, but it's also even as he's hanging there. They are wandering around the bottom of the cross and they are mocking him and they are still challenging him. If you look at Luke 23, where our words come from, he's got criminals on one side and the other. The crowd and the leaders are scoffing him. He saved others. Let him save himself. Is he really God's Messiah, the chosen one? The soldiers got in on the act. They mocked him, offered him sour drink. They called out, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Everything that could possibly be ugly, selfish, and hurtful is happening in that moment. In that moment, in the daylight, this experience is exposing the cruelty and the ugliness of humanity. In the daylight, it is exposing the selfishness, it is exposing that ugliness that can be part of our life. You there? Here's the miracle. Out of that experience, out of that moment, in broad daylight, Jesus speaks these words. 
Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And that in and of itself, if you get that picture, that in and of itself is absolutely incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's incredible what he's gone through, what he's going through, the sheer ugliness, the sheer hurtfulness, everything that's taking place there. And in the middle of that, in broad daylight, when it's all exposed, Jesus' reaction is to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, to help you understand how absolutely unusual this is, you see, what, what usually happened when somebody was executed in this way and crucified is that, excuse me, is that they would take him out and nail him to the cross, and the whole time the person being executed was nothing, doing nothing but ripping apart his executioners, right? Usually, the language that was happening from the cross was everything opposite of what Jesus said. It was expletive after expletive after expletive as the person being crucified is ripping apart with as foul language as they could possibly muster those who are executing them. In fact, Ciro, in his writing, says that the language was so bad and it was so repetitive that the Roman guards would get so sick of listening to this foul stuff that they would go up on the cross and cut out the tongues of those being executed so they didn't have to listen to it anymore. (laughs) That's how foul it was. And yet Jesus, facing the ugliness in broad daylight, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, we could stop there this morning. You could go home early, and it'd be really good, right? But there's more. I mean, this, there's just so much amazing in this experience. When you start diving into the text, and you start looking at the words that he said, when you dive into the text, you look at the Greek that lies behind it, right? This is where I impress you because I know Greek, okay? This, you look at the Greek that's behind it. There's a significant uh, tense when it says, Jesus said, that word said, that word said in the Greek is in the imperfect tense. Now what's cool about that is the imperfect tense uh, means it's continuous. It's continuous, it's repetitive, it's ongoing. So what's happening? Jesus is on the cross and he is facing this ugliness and what is he doing? He is repeatedly uttering, mumbling, mustering the ability to say over and over and over again, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's not just once. It's over and over while they're pounding in the nails, while they're scoffing at him, while they're mocking him, over and over again in the face of the ugliness, what is he saying? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Over and over again. Now the great thing for us is that this isn't just a one-time experience of 2,000 years ago when he hung on a cross. Because he still has the same heart, the same desire, and is uttering the same words. The same desire. If you go into the book of Hebrews, you see Hebrews acknowledging what Jesus still does. It says, 
Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, right? Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to do what? To intercede with God on their behalf. Okay, he lives how long? Forever. And what does he do forever? Over and over and over and over and over again? To intercede with God on your behalf. What he uttered from the cross, he still utters for each one of us. The desire he had on that day in the face of all the ugliness, in the face of all the cruelty, he utters to this day. Why would he do that? Because his desire hasn't changed from then to now. He wants for you the same thing he wanted for them. The opportunity to come into the daylight and to come clean. That's what he's praying about. What he's praying about in this experience is he's praying that God, the Father, would give them and us the opportunity to come clean, to face the ugliness, to face the selfishness, to face the secret sins that we have, to come clean and to know the forgiveness he's accomplishing that day on the cross. Now, you got to hang with me on this one, okay? going to make the gears work this morning. You ready? So you got to pay attention. Get back with me because this is heady stuff. You ready? Here's what I want you to think about. Ask yourself the question. Can you think to an experience in Jesus' ministry where Jesus, on the spot, in the moment, pronounced the forgiveness of somebody's sins. Oh, sure, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Take up your mat and walk. Why? For your sins are forgiven. In that moment, he declared to that guy, your sins are forgiven. When he was on the cross on that day, did he have the capacity... To be able to say to everybody that was executing him, your sins are forgiven. Yes, he did. But that's not what he said. That is not what he said. He didn't say, listen, this is really ugly and you're doing a really bad thing. You don't know what you're doing, but forget it, man. Your sins. That's not what he said. He said what? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If he's not forgiving their sins in that moment, what is he doing? What is he doing in this phrase? Does he have the capacity? Think about this. Does he have the capacity in that moment to not ask for forgiveness, but to unleash judgment? Does he have the capacity in that moment to change things like that and to bring judgment. Well, sure he does. I mean, there was a time he stilled storms and calmed waves. Even when he was arrested, remember when he was arrested, they pulled the sword and cut off the servant's ear. And look at what he says in verse 53. He says, Don't you realize that I could ask my father right now for a thousand of angels to protect us, and he would send them when? Instantly. 
in that moment, in that time, facing the ugliness, don't you think he had the capacity to be able to say, enough, enough of this ugliness, enough of this selfishness, enough of this cruelty? Don't you think in that moment, God the Father had the desire and the opportunity to be able to unleash his wrath against the brokenness, selfishness, and sinfulness of the world as they execute his own precious son. He's done it before. Maybe you remember this little town that used to exist called Sodom and Gomorrah. Why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he just say enough? Because Jesus prayed and asked him not to. That's what he's doing. Jesus prayed from the onset of the experience when the ugliness of humanity is exposed to the daylights. He prayed, Father, Forgive them. Give them a chance. Father, hold back your wrath. Give them the opportunity. Father, don't unleash your judgment now. Wait. Give them a chance to repent. Give them a chance to know the forgiveness that I win for them today on this cross. Father, not now. Wait. Give them a chance. That's what he's praying for. What he's praying for is that you and I, in this very moment, will understand the opportunity that we have right now. The opportunity that we have right now to bring into the daylight all the ugliness, all the rebellion, all of the sin, all of the times that we've failed, all of the shame that we bear, all of the burden that's on our back, all of that to be able to bring it to the daylight and be able to let Jesus Christ take it and put it to execution on the cross. He's praying for this moment. He's praying that God would give the opportunity for forgiveness. If you look at Peter, Peter understands this. He sees this when he looks at the cross. He says, look, Jesus, he didn't... He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. What did he do? He didn't call down fire. He didn't call down rain. He prayed, Father, give them the opportunity for a new life. Peter and Jesus had a discussion once about this whole understanding of forgiveness. And and we see in Jesus' response his desire for forgiveness, his desire for multiple opportunities of forgiveness to take place. They're having a debate, and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, look, how many times, how often, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? How about seven times? That's a lot. How about seven? Jesus replies, no, 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 not seven times, 
but 70 times 7. How many times is that? I did the math, look at the screen, I used my calculator, so it's got to be right. 490 times. You know what? I can't keep track 490 times. I mean, there's no way I'm going to forgive somebody and go, okay, 238. There's, there's no way I'm going to practice forgiveness and go, oh, okay, that's 422. I'm getting closer. I mean, what's the point? The point is he's describing a limitless attitude, a limitless opportunity for forgiveness. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for a limitless opportunity for you and I to know forgiveness. And how often did he pray it? Over and over and over and over. That every day, that this day and every day and tomorrow and the next day, that we would be able to enter into this understanding and get it. That we can come into the daylight and we can let go of it and we can get a new life. Peter understood it. If you look at 2 Peter, he says, The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to what? You see it? You see it? That's just what he's praying for. That's just what Jesus is praying for on the cross, that each one of us, that each one of us would understand the incredible opportunity he won for us on the cross. That our lives can be absolutely new and different. We can bring all the stuff that we hide. We can bring it out into the daylight and we can let it go. We don't need to carry it anymore. We can take all the stuff that we try to ignore and we can bring it into the daylight. And let Jesus Christ accomplish what he accomplished on the cross in our lives. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the ongoing opportunity that Jesus prays for and accomplishes on that day. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Now, I get the first half. We kind of walk through the first half of this phrase here, right? And that, that really makes some sense, hopefully, to you. does to me. The question I've always had is, Figuring out what does he mean by the last half. For they don't know what they do. Really? I mean, come on. They know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? The religious leaders, they know what they're doing. They've tried to trip him up how many times? They know exactly what they're doing. They know they're getting rid of this guy who's been a bother for them. They're getting rid of the competition. They know exactly what they're doing. Pilate? Pilate knows what he's doing. He even admitted it. He stood in front of everybody and said, I wash my hands, right? He knows what he's doing. He knows he's betraying justice. He knows that he's executing an innocent man. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's just getting rid of a troublemaker. And the people, they know what they're doing. 
They know what they're doing while they're watching all this and they're wandering around the cross and they're insulting him and mocking him. They know what they're doing. They're having a great time at the expense of somebody else. They know what they're doing. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing when you hold on to that secret sin that you just won't let go of even though you know it's contrary to God's desire for you. You know. You know what you're doing when you hold on to resentment, when you hold on to anger. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing when you refuse to come into the daylight and deal with the brokenness and the selfishness in your life. You know what you're doing. So what is it you don't know? What is it they don't know? What they don't know is the consequence. What they can't see is the consequence of unforgiveness. They can't see the weight of unforgiveness. Proverbs 27 says, A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but the resentment caused by a fool is even heavier. What's he saying? This stuff over here, this stuff over here, all this burden stuff that we did on Ash Wednesday, this is heavy stuff. This stuff is heavy stuff. Oh, you may be able to tote, you know, one little bag of it. But how many bags do you carry around in a day? How many, how many, how much weight does it take to make a bag of sand really heavy? See, what we don't know, we don't see, is we don't see the consequence when we refuse to come into the daylight and when we refuse to practice forgiveness in the lives of others. If you look at Matthew 5, Jesus tries to lift this up, try to expose this reality to us. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, a good thing, and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What's he telling you? you got to understand the weight and the consequence of unforgiveness. Of not facing the stuff in the daylight and not forgiving others as you've been forgiven. My mother didn't talk to her sister for about 12 years. They got in a fight when my grandfather died uh, and they fought over the estate and, of course, at the root of it, was fighting over the estate, and at the root, of course, was fighting over money. They didn't talk to each other for 12 years. 12 years. Do you think they understood what they lost in those 12 years? I mean, imagine the loss of 12 years of relationship. Twelve years of celebrations and birthdays and parties and gatherings and I love yous. Twelve years of helping and serving and encouraging one another. Twelve 
years. Why? Well, because they were just right and the other person was wrong and, and, and they were just going to stand their ground. They knew what they were doing. They knew. They said, I'm right. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to practice forgiveness because after all, I'm right. They're wrong. And they stood their ground. And what happened? They lost 12 years of what God could have done in their relationship. And they didn't see it. They didn't know. This is the deal. This is the deal. We don't always get it. We don't see it. We don't understand the consequence, the weight of what we experience when we won't receive forgiveness and when we won't practice forgiveness. There is always a cost. That's why Peter, he got it. Peter, the guy that betrayed Jesus, right? The guy that betrayed Jesus in the arrest time. Peter got it. Peter says what? Don't repay evil for evil. Don't. Don't do this. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Don't do that. It costs too much. It's too heavy. It weighs too much. Don't do that. Jesus prayed that you wouldn't fall into that trap. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his what? There is blessing in practicing forgiveness. There is blessing in receiving forgiveness and coming into the light and letting everything be exposed to the cross and God's grace. There is blessing in receiving that and letting it pour into the lives of other people. There is blessing. And that is what Jesus prayed for. Now, this is so important. This is so important that he would pray this from the cross. It is so important that we get this. Matthew 6, Jesus tells us why this is so vital to us. He says, listen, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father also is going to forgive you. But now look at verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You've got to come into the light. You've got to come into the daylight. You've got to come into the daylight. And let Him take all the ugliness and all the shame and all the guilt and all the secret sins you got to come into the daylight bring your relationships into the daylight and practice forgiveness receive it and practice it we're going to pray for that in just a minute we're going to pray that prayer that Jesus taught us we call it the Lord's Prayer right? we do it every single week today I want you to especially think about that phrase when you say, forgive us our trespasses as we do what? Forgive those who trespass. That's what he prayed for. 
what he prayed for. Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't understand what they're doing. He prayed for this moment. He prayed for this day. He prayed for this room. He prayed for this very opportunity that right here and right now we would understand and we would seize, seize the opportunity to be forgiven. That we could come to him and say, I want to expose my life to the daylight. Father, forgive me and help me forgive somebody else. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, that's the word Jesus used from the cross, the call upon you, and we want to use that word today. Father, Father, forgive us. Bring it into the daylight. Help us in this very instance, in this moment, to not hold back but to give to you all of our weakness and all of our brokenness, all the ugliness, all the shame, all the secrets. Father, we confess them to you and we humbly ask you, forgive us in this moment. As you have forgiven us, so we pray that you would empower us Empower us to not be an unforgiver, but to be a forgiver. Empower us to not carry the resentment and the anger and the frustration. Empower us to let go of all of that and instead be a person of blessing. Be a person of blessing. Lord, we come to you today. You prayed for this moment, and we give this time to you. In Jesus' precious name. We give it to you as we pray together the way he taught us to pray, saying, 